Salutations, listeners. You are listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. And I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it's our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you, the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we're going to be talking about something that I cannot believe we have not covered yet here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. We are rounding the corner and heading towards 200 episodes, and I cannot believe that this has not been a subject yet, because I love it. We're going to be talking about jazz organists. Talking about, yeah, the B3 monsters, the killer bees, whatever you want to call them. There's plenty of nicknames, and there's plenty of great, soulful organ players out there. But we're going to be talking about specifically the jazz organ players. So, we're not going to be playing any Steve Winwood, as awesome as he is, or Billy Preston, as awesome as he is. We're going to save those cats for the rock and roll podcasts. This is the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Um, Some of these names are relatively well-known, and some of these names should be well-known, but they're not. And there's a couple of reasons uh, for me finally pointing to wanting to get into this and kind of do a showcase on great jazz organ players. Uh, But we're going to talk about that a little bit deeper on the break. Um, But... We want to thank you so much for all of you who've written. Tony, you know, Christopher, you know who all you are. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, love hearing comments. If you want to uh, write a comment and let us know what you think about the podcast, we'll tell you how to do that a little bit later on in the podcast as well. Uh, but for right now, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. Work's been crazy. I mean, crazy, y'all. So, and we've been having a lot of snowstorms up in my neck of the woods here. So, please pardon the hiatus. It is not intended. But, we're back. So, let's listen now to the godfather of jazz organ here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Enjoy. Thank you. 
soulful as soulful can be. That is the one and only Charles Erland. E-A-R-L-A-N-D. Charles Erland on the organ with the tune Black Talk from an album by the same name, Black Talk, recorded in December 1969 on Prestige. Oh, man. Killer, killer album. Uh, They've got The Mighty Burner on there, Aquarius, More Today Than Yesterday. It's so good. Um, On this album, Buddy Caldwell's on the Kungas, Idris Muhammad, funk master drummer. Um, Melvin Sparks laying down some awesome guitar. Houston Person on the tennis saxophone. Virgil Jones on the trumpet. Charles Erland on the organ and leader of the date. Incredible, incredible, incredible. Um, <clears throat> Black Talk, the tune that we just heard there, went on to become an enormous hit, um, spinning a lot of of the year 1970 on the bestseller charts. But if you ask a lot of jazz cats nowadays, not all, there's some who's in the know-how, but if you ask a lot of jazz cats nowadays, hey man, are you hip to some Charles Erland? They're like, who? Tisk tisk. But I'm here to share some of this funkiness with you because I do. I love some of this stuff, man. Before that, we heard... The organist Sonny Phillips, who was born uh, December 7, 1936 in Birmingham, Alabama, my home state. And then he moved on down from Birmingham down to Mobile shortly after that. Not too long after he was born. Uh, But man, he really had some groovy, groovy roots from Mobile. And uh, we heard by Sonny Phillips the tune Black on Black from the album by the same name as that. There you go. Well, they're all going to be like that. What do you know? Anyway, cool story about this. So there Sonny Phillips is. Um, for what? Okay, take that back. Restart. So the story behind this record is that Uh, they were in the studio, the horn section and the rhythm section were in the studio, and that was none other than Bernard Purdy Purdy on the drums, Jimmy Lewis on the electric bass, Melvin Sparks again on guitar, and Rusty Bryant, the awesome saxophonist. So they were in the studio, and the organist called and canceled. So they had already made it to the studio They had nothing but time to kill. So, (laughs) the, the, you know, the, the owner of the, of the studio said that, I think it was, yeah, Bob Porter said that there's only one person that he could call that could make something happen in a short amount of time. And that was organist Sonny Phillips. So, and this is recorded July 27th, 1970, about the same time, you know, I don't know who the organist was that called and canceled, but it could have been Charles Erland because so many of these cats are the same kind of cats, you know. Uh, But anyway, the cool part is that within eight hours, they threw together this album, and it was funky. 
So that metal tune was one of the tunes, and it was so good they named the album after that track, Black on Black. So, and it was kind of just like a jam because the composer credits go to all five cats, Rusty Bryant, Sonny Phillips, Melvin Sparks, Jimmy Lewis, and Bernard Purdy. So, killer, killer, killer grooves. And then we started off the set with the godfather of jazz organ, the one, the only, the inimitable Jimmy Smith. And... Like I said, this is three for three. We heard the title track of the album. We heard Back at the Chicken Shack, which is an incredible blues written by Jimmy Smith. Uh, Donald Bailey on drums, Kenny Burrell on guitar, and Stanley Turrentine, Mr. T himself, on the tenor saxophone with Jimmy Smith at the organ. Now, what's cool about Jimmy Smith, by the way, that was recorded on Blue Note Records um, on April 25th, 1960 about 10 years before the other tracks. So, um, what's really cool about Jimmy Smith, for those who who don't know, um, he was really moved by the sound of the organ. And he could play some piano, uh, but he was really moved by the, the, the versatility of the draw bars on the organ. Now, the draw bars are those little uh, sliding things you know that that change the sound and it, it's kind of like the tone of a saxophone like you know you can have like five tenor saxophone players play the same thing in a row and they'll all sound different because you know Coleman Hawkins will sound different than Sonny Rollins who will sound different than Stan Getz who will sound different than you know Joe Lovano right um, who will sound different than Albert Eiler and that's the whole point is that you know even though it's all a tenor saxophone, it's all individualistic because of the way their setup is, you know, the way that they breathe, where they approach the horn, how hard they play, how hard the reeds are, what kind of mouthpiece, etc. right? So organ is kind of the same thing in that it depends on what combination of those eight draw bars and in what slot. I think there's like eight draw bars and I think there's like like eight or nine levels per slat, you know. So you're you're mixing and matching all these slats and stuff. And <clears throat> so you you you'll hear some organists that have a more of a whistling sound. You'll hear some organists that have more of a almost like a bongo percussive kind of attack to their organ. And you got some that are just it's it's full on out and it sounds like you know, raucous kind of church music. And then some of them actually have it like driving so hard it's overdriven and it's kind of distorted. And that's kind of cool too. And then they got the whole Leslie speaker, which kind of has a phaser effect to um, the organ sound. Now, if you're not familiar what a, a Leslie speaker is, it's basically like a two sided horn that rotates in a wooden cabinet. And that's how you kind of get that phaser effect. Um, yeah, and, and they were using all this stuff. Now, keep this in mind. Notice that you, you're not hearing a lot of bass players, especially with the early cats like Jimmy Smith. Notice that it's organ, tenor sax, guitar, and drums. There's no bass. But you don't miss the bass. And that's because 
The organ player actually is in charge of all that as well. So besides having two manuals, that's what they call those decks of keys on the organ, besides having two rows of keys on the organ, two manuals, they also have these foot pedals on the bottom. Now that's not, you don't usually get to see that a lot uh, in a lot of these uh, pictures of organ players. But the truth of the matter is, is that each one of these little wooden beams at their feet represents the notes on a piano. So some are more raised, and those would be the black keys on the piano, and some are more flat and closer to their feet, and those would be the white keys on the piano. So, believe it or not, you're supposed to play the bass line with your feet while you comp chords or hold down chords with your left hand, and you could solo solo lines with your right hand. Now, if this starts to sound complicated, you're not alone. But the reason I'm taking the time to explain this is because just to play basic, basic things on the organ takes an incredible amount of skill, time, dedication, perseverance, and discipline. So, with all that being said, what makes Jimmy Smith really cool is that for about a year, uh, he locked himself in a warehouse, and he just sat with an organ, figuring it out, figuring out his own personal sound with the drawbars, learning how to play those bass lines with his feet, comp what sounds he liked on the left hand, soloing with the right hand, and basically writing tunes, going through, figuring out how to improvise. Now, it's hard enough to improvise, period. No matter if you're a trumpet player, a sax player, whatever, a single-line instrument. Then it's even harder than that to actually improvise on the piano because you've got the chords and in your left hand and the melody in your right. I would almost say that it's harder than even a piano to improvise on an organ because you've got to run the bass lines with your feet, you've got to comp with your left hand, and you've got to solo with your right hand. And you're also in charge of switching the draw bars if you want to change in the middle of a tune. So playing the jazz organ is very, very complicated. And even though we heard a great blues right there, don't mistake it, Jimmy Smith recorded many bebop classics, including Confirmation, you know, um, A Night in Tunisia, and he also did a lot of other jazz standards like Mac the Knife. And they all sound great. They're all groovy. He has impeccable sense of time and rhythm. And he's doing all of this at the same time. So, that being said, let's just, before we even press on with more organists, give credit where credit is due, and just say that it is an incredibly challenging thing just to play organ in the first place. So, there you go. But when Jimmy Smith emerged from that warehouse, a new sound and a new style of jazz was born. And Francis, uh, I'm sorry, Alfred Lyon from... um, Blue Note Records, who started Blue Note Records with Francis Wolfe, Alfred Lyon even sat there and joked 
well, half-joked with his wife at the time, uh, Ruth, he said, you know, I think I'm just going to quit Blue Note Records and sell it to someone else so I can go on the road with Jimmy Smith so I can hear him play every single night. I just want to like be his manager. So Alfred Lyon was completely in love with that dripping soul sound of jazz organ, specifically Jimmy Smith. Because besides being able to do all that, he was an incredible soloist. I mean, he could do pyrotechnics on the organ that no one else could, especially in those early days. So Jimmy Smith truly is the godfather of jazz organ. Now, is he the first jazz organ player? No, no, he's not. That would either have to go to Wild Bill Davis or, believe it or not, Fats Waller. That's right, the same guy that wrote Ain't Misbehavin'. You know, with the, the derby hat and the little mustache? Yeah. So Fats Waller actually recorded in the 1930s, I believe, uh, a couple of jazz organ records. But they were very sacred sounding. Let's put it that way. Even though he was playing secular kind of music in, in jazz, he had a very uh, simple organ sound. It did not sound uh, the way that we're hearing Jimmy Smith play it or Sonny Phillips or Charles Erland. Um, you can go back and check that out. But he actually was the one, Fats Waller was, who gave organ lessons to none other than Bill Basie. That's right, Count Basie. He gave organ lessons to Count Basie. And Count Basie's a great organ player. But even Count Basie plays organ kind of in that same very basic sense in the same way that Fats Waller did. So it's not the same thing at all. It, it, it doesn't sound the same. It's not the same approach, etc. So needless to say, um, what we consider jazz organ really started with Jimmy Smith, even though he was not the first to be recorded. It's kind of like Louis Armstrong. Was he the first jazz recorded jazz artist? No, no. That would be like the original Dixieland Jazz Man in 1917. But Louis Armstrong was the first to really make it take off. It's the first to really make it an art form. There was a spectacle to his records and his solos because he was doing something meaningful, something very artistic with it. And that's kind of what Jimmy Smith is. He's not the first, but he's the first to really make something artistic out of the instrument known as the organ within the jazz idiom. So, enough talking. I'll I'll talk a little bit more on the next break, but we've got another set coming at you, and it is all groovy, so don't go anywhere. You are listening to Jazz Organists here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. 
Three awesome, great tracks right there. So we started off with a track called Briar Patch, which was written by the one and only awesome jazz organist, Brother Jack McDuff. It was recorded in October 1965 and released in 1966 from the album Hot 
Barbecue. So good. The whole album is just phenomenal. And it features, of course, Brother Jack McDuff on the organ, Red Holloway. No relation whatsoever. On the tennis saxophone, Joe Dukes on the drums, and the one and only George Benson on the guitar. Yeah. Yeah, that same George Benson, believe it or not. So, Killer Guitar by George Benson there in 1965. All right, and after that, the metal song that we heard there was a tune called Donnie Brook, which was actually written by the one and only Grant Green. Gotta love some Grant Green, y'all. But the organist and the leader on this date was the one and only Don Patterson. Gotta love Don Patterson. Uh, Another seminal jazz organ player that everyone needs to know. I mean, killer, killer organ player. Don Patterson on organ, Grant Green on the guitar, Billy James on drums, and the one and only Sonny Stitt on the veritone and the tenor saxophone. Now, I didn't say baritone. I said veritone. The veritone was this kind of... um, device that would amplify a saxophone and and kind of let it play two tones at once. It was pre um electronic wind instrument, so pre iwi, if you will. Um and there was this kind of movement where a lot of instrumentalists were kind of getting electric with the veritone. Eddie Harris was one, Clark Terry did an album with veritone, and uh Sonny Stitt was known to use the veritone as well. Um uh, but that is not taking away anything from Don Patterson, who is kind of the part of the spotlight here on this episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast, spotlighting jazz organists, right? So Don Patterson, this dude is just killer, and he's everywhere, man. Like, you look at a lot of those prestige sides, and this was a prestige album called Donnie Brook as well. Um he played with a lot of the Titans, man, but specifically he made a lot of records with Booker Irvin. That's the same cat uh, who's a tennis saxophonist that played with Charles Mingus on his Mingus I Am album, and the one and only Sonny Stitt. Now, Sonny Stitt is just a jazz giant. <clears throat> I mean, Sonny Stitt, he, he played uh, with Dizzy, he was kind of like a bird disciple, but man, he really dug deep into this whole thing um, with these organ players and that this kind of like kind of soul jazz movement, if you will. So yeah, it, it's nice to hear uh, <laughs> some Sunny Stitt on there, but I mean, not all the tunes are all groovy. I mean, just even some other tunes on this uh, album, Donnie Brook which, by the way, was recorded in September of 1969 and released in 1970 on the Prestige label. Um, you've got some standards like St. Thomas by Sonny Rollins and Good Bait by Tad Dameron. So, yeah, I mean, Stitt's still playing some straight-ahead jazz, too. Um, man, it's just so good. Not to mention, you get Don Patterson, Sonny Stitt, and Grant Green. How could you go wrong? So, there you go. Um, And then we ended off that set with a tune called Feel Real. And that was by none other than the great organ player 
who is even to seasoned jazz cats, not very well known. Uh, but his name is Eddie Bacchus. And Eddie Bacchus is a, an organ player from Cleveland, Ohio. And he is one of the cats uh, that gave Joe Lovano one of his starts. And um, he, he was born in North Carolina, but he soon moved to, to the Columbus and then Cleveland area and never left. Uh, he was a blind organist on top of that. Uh, he turned blind soon after birth. Uh, but he came under the tutelage, believe it or not, of the great Rasan Roland Kirk. And at that point in time, Eddie Bacchus was a pianist. But while he was with Roland Kirk's group, he took up the organ. And that group had a residency at the 100 Club in Cleveland, Ohio, for nine months. So what broke up that band, basically, is that Charles Mingus sent for Rasan Roland Kirk to come and join him in New York. So Kirk went to New York to be with Mingus, but Eddie Bacchus stayed in Cleveland. And he had uh, some really close friends like drummer Charles Crosby and um, they, they had little groups together and they kept on playing. Now, the good thing is that I mean, obviously, you can't be mad at Rasan Roland Kirk for skipping out to play with Mingus. That's a chance of a lifetime. But he didn't leave his, his fellas high and dry. So what he did was he recommended Eddie Bacchus to a guy named Jack Tracy. And Jack Tracy happened to be the, the boss of the record label, Smash Records. And Smash Records recorded the debut of a sensational jazz organist. Eddie Bacchus, Feel Real. And uh, it was recorded in October of 1962 in Chicago and then released in 1963. And we heard the, the title track there, Feel Real. Now what's really cool is on this album, there's even a tune called A Breath in the Wind. And there's a flute part in that tune, and it's, according to the, the credits, it's played by Theosius Tannis, <laughs> which is uh, really a just a little pseudonym for Rasan Roland Kirk. So, uh, that's really cool. And they used to call, uh, you know, Eddie Bacchus, the Speedy Gonzalez of the Hammond B3 organ, because he could play it so fast, you know. Especially, it's even more impressive now that you know all what goes into playing the jazz organ, as I explained before, but the fact that he's blind. Killer. Um, just a killer talent. And um, sadly, Eddie Bacchus recently passed away um, this month. So we're in February, uh, I'm sorry, last month. So we're in February of 2022. And at the end of January, 
uh, Eddie Bacchus passed away and um, he he gave Joe Lovano his start kind of playing in clubs around Cleveland Uh, I think that Eddie Bacchus even played with Joe's dad Big T Tony Lovano and um, Joe's such a stand-up guy that he actually flew back um, for the memorial for Eddie which is super super cool and, and a very class act um, with even his trio gig right on the horizon at the Village Vanguard. He's doing a trio gig with Bill Frizzell and Tyshawn Sori, uh, kind of like in the vein of Paul Motion, you know, which is super important. But he's such a, a stand-up and a classy act that he even came back. He, I think he drove back in the middle of those snowstorms um, to Cleveland to give to you know, give his respects to Eddie Bacchus. So really cool guy. And, um, that's one of the things that made me kind of want to really do one of two reasons that made me really want to do uh, a spotlight on jazz organ players is because one, I can't believe I hadn't already done it because I do love me some jazz organ. Uh, but two, to bring attention to the greatness of Eddie Bacchus. So, there you have it. Uh, another reason that I wanted to do this podcast, um, this particular episode, is uh, something that I found on Ethan Iverson's uh, Twitter account, which was a link to a podcast called Manifesto, in which they were talking about um, Went Marsalis's jazz manifesto, and I'm not going to get into that whole debate because we could be here for days, weeks, months, years, decades, millennia. So I'm not getting into that. But one of the things that he brought up was that, you know, in the history books, like jazz history books, right? Not like, you know, George Washington and all that, but like jazz history books. You know, they talk about a certain canon of, of artists, and that's relatively agreed upon. You know, Louis Armstrong, Miles Davis, Duke Ellington, John Coltrane, Charlie Parker, etc., right? Um, but then they also talk about kind of the, the specific movements in jazz. They talk about, you know, like trad jazz or Dixieland jazz and, they, and its roots, and then they talk about, and some even goes back as far as ragtime, you know. And then they talk about like big band, and then they talk about bebop, and they talk about hard bop and cool jazz. Some even go and, you know, splinter, and they say like, well, you know, here's third stream jazz. And then they talk about Gunther Schuller, etc. Um, fusion, you know, things like that. Free jazz. But rarely do they ever give props credit and the notoriety it deserves to talk about the movement of jazz organ because a lot of these cats that we're listening to in this podcast they kind of toured what they call the chitlin circuit and what the chitlin circuit was it was clubs all over the country the united states clubs all over the united states that were like these kind of like juke joints, if you will, you know, uh, you, you, you hear the term juke joints 
usually uh, associated with blues acts and very rural areas of like the deep south you know alabama mississippi uh, georgia louisiana arkansas tennessee uh you know you hear about these juke joints and they're hardly anything more than like cinder block kind of places that usually have kick-ass food i mean just killer food killer barbecue and couple of beers and then just some slamming music right so that's kind of the thing is that these cats really kind of had to play and but in these things called the chitlin circuit and these kind of clubs were everywhere in the 60s and i guess in, in even into the early 70s really so you could go to philly and philadelphia you could go to cleveland you could go to chicago you know and you could hit a bunch of these, like, you know, clubs on the Chitlin circuit. Now, they're not going to be the same, you know, kind of clientele or or the kind of place where they're going to have somebody like Lee Konitz come and play or Miles Davis or Duke Ellington, you know, or Errol Garner. They're not going to have cats like that. They're not going to call the Bill Evans trio or Stan Getz and, you know, the Gilberto, you know, Joao Gilberto and Astro Gilberto to come in and do their bossa nova thing. That's not what they were after. They wanted kind of gut bucket music that had soul with it because they basically were providing this kind of atmosphere of that. So that's a, that, that was a whole thing. And, you know, a lot of history books don't give... Um, enough credit to those kind of places where a lot of this young talent that we know and respect today uh, really cut their teeth because I mean think about it you've got cats like George Benson who cut his teeth with organ groups even led one of his own organ groups you got cats like Lou Donaldson that started out playing bebop but then really made his money doing these kind of records and touring on the chitlin circuit. Pat Martino, a great guitar player, cut his teeth on the chitlin circuit. Joe Lovano, who I just talked about. Uh, and a host of others. You know what I mean? They really, they kind of got their start doing this sort of thing. And... It's just kind of ignored or glazed over in the jazz history books. Now, you can go a little bit deeper. And um, <clears throat> the Chitlin Circuit actually has roots that's a little bit deeper. They go even further back. Uh, you can get into uh, the Toba artists and you know the 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 toba locations you know there were certain um music establishments uh that were known as you know the toba circuit t-o-b-a and it, it stood for something you know i remember reading this in, in count basie's autobiography good morning blues written with albert murray um but one of the things about that at least the musicians and the artists always said that Toba stood for was tough on black artists circuit. <laughs> you know, oh, we're about to go down to the Toba circuit. You know what I mean? And it means that they were hardly getting any money for the amount of hours and, and you know, all the stuff that they had to do for these shows. So, and 
I think that the idea that there was these certain places uh, with a certain atmosphere that did not pay great. Um, I think that the Chitlin Circuit was, uh, uh, you know, kind of a splinter off of the whole Toba Circuit if you really want to get far back enough. Uh, but personally, I think that that would be a, a great book for anybody who's looking for an idea to write a great book. You know, do uh, an extensive kind of like history of the Toba Circuit into the Chitlin Circuit. And, um, yeah. I mean, you know, that's the thing. It, it's all on the name, right? I mean, you know, Chitlins are not like, you know, the the preferred part of the pig if you're going to eat barbecue or whatever, you know. Um, so, I mean, you know, chitlins are, you know, like a, you know, like a soul term for chitterlings. And that is not the most, uh, first part of the pig that you want. So, I mean, that's the thing, you know, but it became a delicacy, you know, uh, among, you know, poorer people way back in the day. And they, they learned how to cook it in such a way that it was delicious. And, you know, they they basically had chitlins and beer. I mean, that goes all the way back to Bessie Smith. I mean, she even recorded a tune called Give Me a Pickfoot and a Bottle of Beer. That's chitlins and beer. That's a chitlin circuit right there. What she's talking about. So, anyway. Um... But the idea of the Chitlin Circuit made me think of organ players too, and then with Eddie Backus's passing, long story short, too late. <laughs> it made me sit there and think, like, you know what? We really need to um, shed some light on some jazz organ players. So, uh, likewise, if if you want to reach out to me and let me know your thoughts, I'd love to hear from you. You can uh, write to us at the Doctor Jazz Podcast by going to our website. And that's Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast, dot WordPress, dot com. And there you can find all of these tracks, what album they came from with the album artwork, and who the featured artist is. So you don't have to write all these down, make a note in your phone, you know, all this other stuff. You don't have to do any of that. All you have to do is go and check out the website. And we'd love to hear from you, so. Uh, you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast wherever you find your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, etc. Um, so please, uh, share with your friends if you think they dig it. So, okay. All right. Enough talking. Sorry. This just, it means a lot to me, and I wanted to share the experience with all y'all. So, let's get back to some more groovy jazz organ music here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. 
Hipso. Hipso. The one, the only, Shirley Scott, queen of the organ. Mm. Shirley Scott on organ. The great Stanley Turrentine on tenor saxophone. (laughs) Actually, he's the one who wrote that tune. But on this particular album, Hip Soul, by Shirley Scott, he is listed as Stan Turner. (laughs) Don't know, man. Must be a Blue Note thing. Um, The great Herbie Lewis on bass and on drums... My buddy Brad Farberman would be so proud and impressed. He'd love this. Roy Brooks on the drums. Yeah, man. Recorded June 2nd, 1961 and late November 1961. Uh, I'm sorry. It was recorded June 2nd, 1961. Released late November of 61. Prestige Records. And if you're noticing a kind of theme prestige they were one of the main ones really peddling out this great soul kind of jazz so yeah queen of the organ Shirley Scott fun fact she was actually married to uh, tenor saxophonist Stanley Turrentine as well and she's on a host of his albums on Blue Note Records too so whether you dig Shirley or whether you dig Stanley you're bound to get both if you go f- deep enough. So there you go. Yeah. They're even covering a Coltrane tune on this album. Trains Blues. Mm-mm-mm. And a Benny Golson tune. 411 West. I'm telling you, hip soul is where it's at. Before that, we heard the one and only Caesar Frazier with Hail Caesar. The title of the album, Hail Caesar. We heard the the album title track, uh, recorded in 1972. It features once again this killer rhythm section of Idris Muhammad on the drums, Houston Person on the tenor saxophone, Melvin Sparks on the guitar, and Caesar Fraser himself on the organ, hailing from Indianapolis, Indiana. Just funky, funky. So, 1972, Hail Caesar. And if you'd actually like to uh, get your own copy of Hail Caesar, it is back and re-released on vinyl. You can go to lightintheattic.net and reserve your copy because it always sounds good on vinyl, right? So there you go. (laughs) Uh, By the way, Caesar Frazier... Here's the fun fact for Caesar Frazier. Caesar Frazier actually played keyboards in Marvin Gaye's backing band. And besides all that, you could st- you've probably heard Caesar Frazier, whether you realize it or not, because it was actually sampled and remixed from uh, his organ playing by Arrested Development. Not the show. Not no Bluths were sampled. Sampling Caesar Fraser, um, or Gangstar. So there you go. Hip little fun fact. And then we started off the set with the one and only Larry Young. And I know 
the jazz heads out there were sitting there going like, oh, what is he going to play Larry Young? You know, is he going to play Moon Train? I mean, he's not really going to be a jazz organ uh, spotlight uh, if he didn't play some Larry Young. <laughs> I did play Larry Young, but not the one you thought I was going to play. And I also try to detract those people's like, if he's going to play some Larry Young, he's not going to play anything from Unity. Is he going to play anything from the Tony Williams Lifetime? I mean, because if it's not one, it's got to be the other, right? Wrong, y'all. I slapped you with H and J equal B. Hustle plus jam equals bread. A tune written by Larry Young from his 1975 album, Larry Young's Fuel. Yeah, funky ass track right there. No doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, Larry Young, Cesar Frazier, Shirley Scott, all in one set. How funky is that? Mm-mm-mm. Awesome goodness. Awesome goodness. Well, I do hope you are enjoying. We are about halfway through this episode of the Dodge Jazz Podcast. Uh, again, thank you for listening. We got some more great sets coming for you. I'm going to try to limit the talking, get back to some more funky grooves, okay? Thanks for listening. You are listening to the Jazz Organ Spotlight here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
Organology. The one and only fabulous Trudy Pitts on the organ, Bill Carney on the drums, and the great late Pat Martino on the guitar. We just mentioned Pat Martino earlier being one of the cats that uh, cut his teeth on the chitlin circuit there, you know. Um, besides Pat Martino, you know, another cat came to mind that everybody knows nowadays, and that's Chris Potter. Now, some people can trace Chris Potter back to, you know, playing with, like, Dave Holland. And it's like, yeah, 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 well, he did that. And before Dave Holland, a couple of cats can sit there and go, yeah, well, you know, besides Dave Holland, he played with Dave Douglas, because, I mean, let's be honest, Chris Potter lost the Daves. Um, but besides, you know, Dave Douglas and some of that stuff with the Dave Douglas Quartet on Arabesque label, you know, uh, I think it's the Magic Triangle album, killer album, uh, Chris Potter is part of, of and um, with Dave Douglas. But before that, you know, it's kind of like, well, what was he doing? <laughs> well... Besides trying to cut his teeth, uh, and, and some folks can even go as far as back, like, well, you know, he, he supposedly played with Steely Dan. You know, it's like, okay, you know, I'm all about the Dan. Love some Steely Dan. Sure. Deacon Blues, whole nine yards. Um, But before that, he was actually playing with Jimmy McGriff and Dr. Lonnie Smith and cutting his teeth on some albums there and playing some of the chillin circuit things. So even somebody as high profile as Chris Potter kind of cut his teeth playing that chillin circuit. So just wanted to add that little feather in the cap there, you know. Uh, but yeah, Pat Martino right here talking about 1967. Off the album, These Blues of Mine, we heard Organology, uh, written by the drummer, Bill Carney, uh, with Trudy Pitts on organ and vocals. Now, I already explained earlier in the podcast just what all goes into playing the organ. Can you imagine singing on top of that? Good night. But Trudy Pitts is not only walking at bass line, because that's it. There's no bass player. It's organ, guitar, and drums. Blam. And she's singing on top of that. So can you imagine walking a bass line with your feet, you know, comping chords with your left hand, you know, playing a solo with your right and singing. And hell, she's probably smoking a cigarette, too, all in the, you know, <laughs> in the midst of doing it all. Because that is a woman who knows how to do it all right there, Miss Trudy Pitts. Um, the album, These Blues of Mine, only had mediocre reviews because of so many of the rock and pop songs uh, that were sprinkled about in the album. She's covering What the World Needs Now by Burt Bacharach and Hal David, Wider Shade of Pale, um, Eleanor Rigby, and The House of the Rising Sun, you know, on top of just awesome tunes like Organology that we just heard right there. So it's kind of a mixed record, you know, so to speak. Um, it's got, like, some real great jazz tunes, and it's got some some rock covers, so... There you go. Before that, we heard one of my absolute, 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 absolute favorites on 
the jazz organ. Talking about none other than Richard Groove Holmes. Groove Holmes, man. He has like the quintessential version of Misty. You know what I mean? And, and, And I love that. But I really... I really wanted to show some groove, groovier sides to Groove Holmes, so to speak, right? Because, you know, I I think if you get people interested based on the funkiness that they hear, they'll dig a little bit deeper on their own. That's my hope. So, 1973, Bell Sound Studios, New York, New York, New York, New York, um, on the Groove Merchant label, we heard the title track Night Glider. And that features Kawasi Yayoruba on the congas and the bongos, Bernard Purdy, Purdy Purdy on the drums, Paul Martinez on the bass guitar, Lloyd Davis on guitar, Horace Ott on electric piano, uh, Selden Powell on the tenor saxophone, Garnet Brown on the trombone, and the one and only Groove Holmes on the organ. Now, there is a bass player on this particular album, Paul Martinez, right? Um, but don't be misled. Groove Holmes could play bass lines with his feet and completely do the organ on his own. In fact, he he's known for having a signature combination of drawbar effects that it, it whistles really high, you know, um, and it's got those beautiful overtones and things going on, so uh, Groove Holmes, man, is definitely one of those cats that you just need to check out more of, because he will not disappoint, guarantee you, guarantee you, um, yeah, so once again, that was Night Glider from the Night Glider album, and then we started out this set with one of my absolute, 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 absolute favorites, recorded in August 1969 for Blue Note Records, Dr. Lonnie Smith with Move Your Hand. And that's the name of the album, too, Move Your Hand. And besides killing it on the organ, Lonnie Smith is also the vocalist, Rudy Jones is on tenor saxophone. The one and only baddest baritone in town, Ronnie Cuber on Barry Sax. Larry McGee on guitar. Sylvester Gaucher on the drums. One of the funkiest tracks. I'm going to say it. Don't dare me. I'm going to say it. And you better pick up what I'm laying down. This is one of the funkiest tracks in the entire Blue Note catalog. Yeah, I said it. I hear I hear walls crumbling, but I said it. This right here, Move Your Hand, is one of the funkiest tracks in the entire Blue Note catalog. I just, I love it that much, man. Mm. 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 And it was actually recorded live, live at Club Harlem in Atlantic City, New Jersey. So there's no overdubs. There's second chances. It is what it is, you know. And um, sadly, uh, Dr. Lonnie Smith is one of the ones um, that we lost last year. September 28, 
Dr. Lonnie Smith uh, at 79 was uh, he passed away and he is one of the killer killer B3 players in all of jazz organ history um, you could put him Ron on up there with any of the Smiths that play the organ um, you could put him up there with Brother Jack McDuff, Jimmy McGriff, you know, Groove Holmes, any of these cats that we've discussed. And um, Dr. Lonnie is is right there with any and all of them. Um, you can't miss it because later on you, in, in his career, he, he, he started wearing a, a, a turban. You know what I mean? You could always tell, you know. And he played on, on tons and tons of records. Uh, Lou Donaldson records, George Benson albums, his own albums, you know. Um, yeah, man, he, he, he's just, he, he was all that and a bag of chips. So uh, nothing but absolute love for Dr. Lonnie Smith, you know. And um, yeah, killer, killer, killer groove player um, on the, the B3 Hammond organ. So. Uh, remember, you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast wherever you find your podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Feel free to share with any of your friends if you think they'd be down with these kind of great jazz organ grooves or just jazz music, period. You know, uh, we, we kind of hit everything. So uh, feel free to climb back into uh, some of the older episodes and let me know what you think. And uh, you can write to me. Uh, by hitting contact on our website. And that website for the Dr. Jazz Podcast is Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.wordpress.com. And you can also find out every track, the album art, who the artist is for each episode. We've made it easy to kind of find. So all you have to do is find you know, what year, whatever, and the most recent episode is right on the front of the website. So, and I'd love to hear from you. So there you go. All right, enough talking from me. We got, uh, let's see, one, two, we got three more funky, funky sets for you. So don't go anywhere. Stick around. You are listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. 
Alright. The Silver Meter. Written by drummer Ben Dixon. That comes off of organist Big John Patton's Blue Note album recorded April 5th, 1963 on Blue Note Records called Along Came John. And that tune is called The Silver Meter. And of course it features the composer and drummer Ben Dixon. Uh, once again, the great Grant Green on guitar. Of course, Big John Patton on the organ. And two tenor saxophone players. Harold Vick, which hardly anybody talks about anymore. But they should, because he's an awesome player. And Fred Jackson. <clears throat> now you may remember uh, Fred Jackson from his Blue Note album, Hootin' and Tootin'. Uh, but yeah, man. Um, this is a great, great, great soul jazz album on Blue Note Records. So, got to love that. Before that, in the middle of the set there, we heard a tune called Ronnie's, <clears throat> excuse me, Ronnie's Bonnie. And that comes from organist Reuben Wilson on his 1968 album on Broadway. Recorded again on Blue Note Records records and uh, that featured of course Reuben Wilson on the organ Trevor Lawrence not to be confused with the quarterback this is way before that quarterback was even a thought probably before <laughs> that quarterback's parents even met so Trevor Lawrence on the tennis saxophone Malcolm Riddick on the guitar and Tommy Derrick on the drums and that's just one of the funkiest things ever there. I mean, Ronnie's Bonnie. And it was a tune written by Reuben Wilson on top of that. Um, yeah, man, such a great, great, great tune. All right, and then we started off the set <clears throat> with jazz organist Freddie Roach. We heard Party Time off of his Blue Note album. That's right, three Blue Notes all in a row in that set. Uh, off of his Blue Note album, Mo Greens, Please, recorded in January and March 1963. We heard Clarence Johnston on the drums. Uh, we heard Kenny Burrell on the guitar. And Freddie Roach on the organ. So, killer, killer trio there. And notice, no bass player in that, so... Freddie Roach, walking them bass lines with his feet, comping with his left hand, soloing with his right. Mm. Awesome, awesome stuff. Now, want to remind you real quick, uh, first of all, thank you for listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast, but you can find it wherever you find your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, so be sure and share with your friends if you think they dig a podcast like this. Uh, secondly, you can find out all these tracks, who the artists are, information, etc., 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 all on our website. And that is Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast dot WordPress dot com. And there you can uh, also get in touch with us, and we would love to hear from you. So tell us what you think about this um kind of spotlight on jazz organ players you know we'd love to hear uh, your thoughts 
and um, yeah, get your take on stuff. So uh, yeah, so enough talking. Like I said, I'm gonna keep the talking short. I did a lot of that up front of the podcast. So let's get back to some more groovy music. Thank you. 
them funky changes. Man, that is such a great tune. <clears throat> and it features the one and only Sonny Stitt on tennis saxophone, Virgil Jones on the trumpet, Melvin Sparks again on guitar, the funkiest, Idris Muhammad on the drums, and in the organ seat, the one and only Leon Spencer. Killer, killer, killer track. Um, it comes from Sonny Stitt's album Black Vibrations on Prestige as well. Just really an incredible, incredible album. Lots of great tunes on that. Um, yeah, and I wanted to kind of shed a light on Leon Spencer. He's not a cat that really gets a lot of attention as well. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but man, when Sonny Stitt gets with some of those organists, man, like someone as great as Leon Spencer, the result is just pure, pure magic. Before that, we heard one of the funkiest tracks in all of organ jazz, talking about The Worm, and that is none other than Jimmy McGriff. That's right, and it comes from the album of the same name, The Worm. And, oh my God, the the whole group on this thing is just killer, man. You've got Grady Tate, Mel Lewis on drums, Bob Bushnell on electric bass, Thornell Schwartz, who played guitar with Jimmy Smith some of the time, um, on guitar, Bob Ashton on baritone sax, Fats Theus, there's a name right there, uh, on tenor sax, Danny Turner on alto sax, and the one and only Blue Mitchell on the trumpet with... The one and only Jimmy McGriff on the organ, man. <clears throat> the whole groove starts with that cowbell, and you can't you can't beat that to me because you know I got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell, baby. So, um, yeah, the worm, <clears throat> Blue Note Records, cannot beat that. Not to mention, they got another funky track on there called Blue Juice. And then they have also got great standards like Girl Talk and Take the A-Train. So, I mean, if you like jazz standard, it's there. And if you like funky groove music, <coughs> it's there too. So, there you go. Uh, then we started off the whole set there with... None other than Johnny Hammond Smith. Not to be confused with John Hammond, uh, the guy who was kind of like the uh, music producer for Count Basie and all that. You know, brother-in-law to Benny Goodman. But Johnny Hammond Smith on the organ there with Soul Talk, 1970. From his, album, from his 1970 album, Black Feeling. And... Um, I'm getting that, th this track, it's a two album on one CD sort of deal uh, called The Legends of Acid Jazz. And, uh, of course, Johnny Hammond Smith on that track, Soul Talk 1970. Johnny Hammond Smith is on the organ. Rusty Bryant is on the tenor saxophone. Virgil Jones, yet again, on the trumpet. 
Wally Richardson on the guitar, Jimmy Lewis on the bass, and Bernard Purdy Purdy on the drums. Now, at this point, you should start to see a lot of these names reoccurring. So, Bernard Purdy Purdy, with that Purdy Shuffle, you know, he is on a lot of these tracks. You know, you start seeing Jimmy Lewis's name pop up. Hell, Virgil Jones, just that trumpet player alone, he's on the bookends of this set. He's playing with Johnny Hammond Smith on this opening track, Soul Talk 1970, and he closed out with Sonny Stitt on them funky changes on the last song of the set. Plus, Virgil Jones was also the trumpet player for Charles Erland way back at the beginning of the podcast. So, <clears throat> Virgil Jones definitely on the scene there. <clears throat> and another one was Rusty Bryant, because Rusty Bryant, I mean, he played all the saxophones, you know, alto saxophone, tenor saxophone, etc. But Rusty Bryant's everywhere, too. So, a lot of these guys were a very close-knit sort of thing, you know. Which is kind of cool. It's like what I was even saying with Jimmy McGriff there in the middle track. You know, Thornell Schwartz is on guitar. Well, Thornell Schwartz played guitar with Jimmy Smith as well whenever Kenny Burrell couldn't. And Kenny Burrell certainly is filling in for a lot of these other cats. So, you know, like uh, he was playing along with Big John Patton over there. So, um, yeah, and... He played with Jimmy Smith and a couple of others. So there's a lot of the same kind of tight-knit community there between, you know, organ groups. Now, let me say this, too, since we're on a pause before we get to, uh, you know, our last set coming up here. Uh, I understand that there's probably some folks scratching their head going, Dr. Jazz, what is up, man? Like... No Soul Live, no Modesky Martin and Wood, where's Schofield, you know, where's all that? You know, where's Larry Goldings, man? It's like, well, slow your roll just a minute. That is more contemporary organ jazz. What I'm focusing on in this particular podcast is more classic organ jazz. Like, the first kind of uh, real, starting with Jimmy Smith, the first real kind of jazz organ records and the groove, first layer, if you will, of groove that came along. And, dare I say, I think that these cats like Jimmy McGriff and Johnny Hammond Smith and Charles Erlen and Brother Jack McDuff and all of them, I think that they really laid the foundation for groups like Badesky, Martin, and Wood to just kind of jam out and funk their way through stuff and, you know, what Schofield was doing with, you know, Modesky and all them, <clears throat> as well as Soul Live. I mean, hell, Soul Live was on Blue Note. So, there you go. Um... And nothing against those groups. I think all those groups are phenomenal. I am a huge Modesky, Martin, and Wood fan as well as Soul Live. So, um, yeah. I, I love all those groups. Uh, Larry Goldings, too. And there's some beautiful stuff that he did with Jack DeJanet and, and John Schofield on that Sadachi's album. So, I'm not denying that. <clears throat> not to mention his comedic 
prowess is just spot on. So if you've never seen Larry Golding's, you know, <laughs> side characters, you should definitely check that out. So uh, Hans Groener is one of my favorites. But anyway, Larry Golding's is a comedic genius besides a musical genius. But uh, but what this podcast is really doing is spotlighting classic organ, classic jazz organ players. Okay, cats that you may not know. I mean, that's all. That's the other thing here too is that you know part of my mission of doing this this whole podcast is just you know shed light on some things that may not get a lot of attention. So. Uh, there's a lot. In fact, I, I I would I would bet the farm on the fact that more people know who John Schofield and Medeski Martin and Wood and Eric Krasno and the Neil Brothers uh, from Solive are than who Johnny Hammond Smith is, or who Rusty Bryant is, or Jimmy McGriff, or Brother Jack McDuff. Now, I will say that there's a lot of people that probably know who Jimmy Smith is. So, um, but you might be surprised. They might not. So, I mean, that's all my mission is is here is to spread uh, information and joy within that information. So, don't get uptight if, you know, there's no Medeski Martin Wood or there's no Soul Live on this. That's kind of not the the direction or the point of this particular podcast. So, um, I just wanted to get that out there and say that. So no hard feelings. We've got a specific thing, niche that we're hitting here and it's all groovy. So hopefully you've been digging these grooves because I know I certainly have, and I have for years. And I, like I said, I'm shocked that we haven't already pulled off a, a spotlight on jazz organ before. So, because I've had, I've literally had some of these albums for 30 years. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anyway, so wanted to say that before we get into this last set. Now, this last set is pretty, pretty hip, I will say. Um, so hold on to your your, your pants. Buckle your seatbelt. Because here we go. Thank you for listening to this classic jazz organ spotlight on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, so we started off that set with Watu Wazui, better known as Beautiful People, by the great organist Charles Kennard, who happened to actually be the very first musician that Bob Porter signed to Prestige Records. Go figure. Now, here's his classic rhythm section and horn section backing up the great Charles Kennard. Talking about Rusty Bryant on the tenor saxophone, Virgil Jones on the trumpet, Melvin Sparks on guitar. All these names should be familiar to this podcast. Jimmy Lewis on the Fender bass, Idris Muhammad on the drums. Mm. Again, that comes from the album uh, Aphrodisiac. Yeah, and... um, no, I'm sorry. And it comes from the album Watu Wazui. Yeah, the, from the same name. Uh, both of these are found on the Legends of Acid Jazz. Both albums on one CD. Uh, I love it. It's a little confusing, but I love it. Uh, in the middle of the set there, we heard Blue Notes. Typical lineup. We heard Ben Dixon on drums. Grant Green on the guitar. Fred Jackson on the tennis saxophone and the leader of the session, organist Babyface Willette. We heard Whatever Lola Wants from the musical Damn Yankees and Super Duper Groovy, recorded in January 30th, 1961 for Blue Note Records off Babyface Willette's album Face to Face. Then we ended things with Wildfire. Uh, which is actually a track from an album by Rusty Bryant, the tennis saxophone player. It's his session, but it features organist Bill Mason, um, Ernest Reed on guitar, Idris Muhammad on the drums, and Buddy Caldwell on the congas. Yeah, and that comes from the album Wildfire, uh, along with... um, Fire Eater, and both of those are found on the Legends of Acid Jazz, Rusty Bryant, Volume 2. There's two volumes with Rusty. So, anyway, thank you so much. I hope you sincerely enjoyed this look at classic jazz organists here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Remember, go to our website. You can find out all the information for each track, artist, album, artwork, etc. So you know exactly what to order, get, go through, you know, the crates at your local record store. And our website is Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast, dot wordpress.com. And feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, yeah. And don't forget to, to share the Dr. Jazz Podcast with any of your friends that you think would dig it. So, yeah. So, lots of grooves in this particular episode. Yeah. And I thank you so much for listening. In the famous words of Duke Ellington, we do love you madly. So, until next time, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Y'all be good now. Because in jazz, we trust. <laughs>